Thank you for joining us for today's webinar, Onboarding, the foundation for getting and keeping your distributors and channel partners focused on your offerings. Today's webinar is one of a regular series of webinars from Globalocity to help companies improve and sustain their sales from distributors, sales agents, and other indirect channels. Globalocity is one of the premier sales channel consultancies in the country. Through their global team of consultants, they're a one-stop shop for your complete B2B, worldwide, indirect sales channel and distribution needs. Now let me take a moment to briefly introduce today's presenters. I have here with me Doris Nagel and Mike Hunter. Doris Nagel is CEO of Globalocity. She focuses on international expansion, channel management, strategy and implementation, business processes, risk management and compliance, she has more than 25 years of experience and is a frequent speaker, blogger, and podcast host, a former DePaul Law School adjunct professor, and a regular columnist for Global Trade Magazine. Mike Hunter is Globalocity's chief strategist. He's an internationally recognized business development expert with nearly 40 years of experience helping more than 300 corporations over that period to develop and deploy the architecture and processes for sales, marketing, channels to market, product management, and corporate alliance programs. Mike has taught product management and channel management skills to more than 60,000 students. Doris, as we're going to start with you, the floor is now yours. Thanks very much, Laura, and thanks to all of our participants today. We're glad you're with us. First, we'll just uh, touch briefly on an agenda, just show you a roadmap of where we're headed. We'll talk about what is partner onboarding, People use the term onboarding in many different ways, and we want to talk about how we define it so that we're all on the same page. We'll talk about some of the many benefits of onboarding. The four pillars of onboarding, which is our framework for discussing onboarding. We'll talk then about a couple of special onboarding challenges, and we'll have a special offer for you, uh, those of you who are participants today, and finally, we'll leave plenty of time for Q&A. So let's get started right away. What is partner onboarding? For a lot of suppliers, we've found it's mostly product training and maybe an informal meet and greet. And for many suppliers, even the product training isn't paced well. It is so easy to fall into the trap of trying to cram as much information in as short a time as possible into the new partners because both you and they want to get busy selling. But the problem with this is twofold. First, as this slide indicates with our definition of onboarding, it isn't just product training. It's a full knowledge transfer that we'll talk about in a minute. The second problem with this approach is that human learning, retention, and absorption is really limited. Most studies show only 10 to 20% of verbal instruction is absorbed and retained. True learning occurs over time through repetition, different learning approaches like quizzes and demos and videos and games and through hands-on coaching. And if you leave that to chance, that's likely to result in frustration for both the suppliers and the partners because that knowledge only occurs over a very long period of time and usually working through issues as they crop up where frustration builds. So what happens with effective onboarding? Well, research and our experience shows partners sell more, which is a good thing, right? Partners are more fully engaged and invested. They're more independent. There's better partner performance, not only meeting sales targets and selling more, but minimize channel development cycle time, fewer administrative errors and omissions, reduce channel conflict, and increased performance influence, which is really important to those, for those of you who are suppliers. And the result is that that means that channel managers and their supplier teams work far more efficiently and effectively. They have decreased need for one-off ad hoc support which leaves them more resources to focus on sales and other high-value activities. And that means the recruiting of partners is much better, 
you spend less time finding new partners and less time trying to rehabilitate partners who have died on the job. You stay top of mind and your, pro your indirect sales channel is far more profitable. And I think most of us would agree if you could accomplish even a couple of these, onboarding is really well worth the investment. Another way to look at this, though, is you can't afford not to. One company that we worked with recently, uh, we helped them completely re-engineer their onboarding process. And as a result of that, um, before they started, the channel managers were frankly bird dogs. They were doing all the heavy lifting, acting almost like an extension of the distributor's sales force. And because they were uh, running around, their time was not spent very efficiently. After they radically changed their onboarding approach with our coaching, they moved a significant chunk of that to their distributors. They tracked the cost of the time savings that they, of all those activities, fewer tech support questions, fewer one-off requests for marketing materials, with the result that after measuring it with the help of their finance department, the direct sales margins were 40%. The indirect sales channel margins were 52%, which completely goes against the common wisdom that the direct sales force is really where the margins are at uh, as opposed to indirect sales. So how do you do this? Well, we'll look at this in more in depth. But first, let's launch our first polling question. Laura, take it away. Okay, so the first polling question for those of you who are calling in and can't see it, I will read it aloud. Um, how well do you feel your onboarding program is functioning? And for those of you who are with us by computer, please take a moment to go ahead and weigh in here. Uh, we have five choices. A, great. B, some parts are really solid, other need, others need work. C, ours is mostly product training and a meet and greet. D, not sure, and E, we really don't have any onboarding. Okay, so please take a moment for all of you who are participating to go ahead and make your choices. And I'm going to leave it open for just another moment. And I will go ahead and close the poll and share the results with you. Okay, so how well do you feel your onboarding program is functioning? Uh, doors 8% say great, 8% say some parts are really solid, others need work, 8% again says ours is mostly product training and a meet and greet, 17% are not sure, and it looks like on this, on this um, presentation we have about 58% who really don't have an onboarding program uh, running yet. So I'm going to go ahead and hide these results, and uh, Doris, back to you. All right. Well, thanks. That's a very interesting uh, poll result, and thanks for sharing that information with us. So as I, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about onboarding in more in-depth, but to truly make it effective, there are some key building blocks that need to be in place. Mike, I'll turn this over to you to talk briefly about that. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? Hope you're having a great day. Uh, for those of you that have been with us before, you've uh, seen this graphic, I think, uh, before. These are the foundational blocks of uh, building a comprehensive uh, uh, channel program. Uh, I thought that poll was really interesting because it does reflect the fact. Doris and I have been doing this uh, in the Global Velocity team for a long time. And the, uh, the challenges with the onboarding uh, area are, are absolutely huge. This is the one component that's actually going to define the relationship. All right, you, you've already done your business plan, you've done your uh, contract and so forth, and now the, the expectations are set, and this is going to tell us, uh, in terms of how well you onboard, uh, the influence that you're going to have uh, with, the, uh, with the new partners. So it, it's a critical area here. All right? We've got some uh, other elements in here. You can see the uh, willingness to invest solid strategy data analytics, which is going to become a, a huge issue with us in future webinars. Uh, channel skills, partnering mindset, the value proposition, which is our next webinar coming up, so stay tuned. Uh, putting this all together in a formal recruiting program, 
the business plan, which we've talked about in previous webinars, and then the onboarding process itself. So there's a little more structure. This graphic will be seen again if you come back and join us again. So let's uh, get into it and take a look. Uh, with respect for your time, uh, we, we see a massive uh, variety uh, in, when it comes down to how companies approach onboarding. All right, from world-class elegance to non-existent, and you saw that as a result of the poll. So we've broken it down into four areas, IP transfer, which we'll give you a slightly different definition of, uh, the people integration, both internal to your organization and the partner's organization, process, which is, the, the processes are very interesting because it's one of the most neglected areas, and it, it's, just, it's just a massive area of, uh, of detail that uh, tends to happen on more an anecdotal basis than it is a planned basis, so we want to talk about that and then Doris is going to talk to you about uh, this uh, significant issue of expectations. So let's get to the first one, IP transfer. Okay, so intellectual property is, is a vast area. It's, it, it's, it's all the proprietary information that you have uh, in, your, in your business. And we've broken it down into a, a, a structure that we think will cover all the areas that you're going to have to deal with. Now, primarily, when we... Uh, deal with our clients, the product knowledge is the first one they want to get across. And that's either done uh, it, it, more informally or, or they've got a vast program to make it happen. One of our clients, uh, Raintree Systems, uh, is a simple product. They're a software uh, uh, company. Uh, but the complexity of the product is such that it takes almost nine months all right, to learn all the aspects of, of the functionality. So it, it really is a significant burden on the partner uh, go over time to learn exactly how to communicate the value of the uh, the uh, the product. Well, we extended our definition here, which is also sales knowledge. Nobody knows how to sell uh, your product better than you do. So, understanding uh, what the sales cycle is going to be like, uh, uh, understanding the the various value proposition positioning that you need to do uh, is important to uh, communicate to your partner. The most neglected area that we see is operational knowledge. And again, I said that these happen primarily anecdotally in, in that we deal with them pretty much as they come up. Uh, kind of inefficient way to do that. Plus, it also can be frustrating to the partner uh, because they're constantly running into issues that they've got to check to with you on in, in terms of how does your company actually handle these situations. Market knowledge and vertical market applications, you've got knowledge about that. We want to make sure that the partner understands the different applications of our product and uh, different uh, uh, vertical marketplace. And, and something that's going to come up as a theme uh, for today is the, this cultural orientation. And that's not just between uh, international uh, partners. It's also the selling organization, the supplier organization, uh, and the difference in the business model with the partner. Um, you know, how, do you, how do you do things around here? Why, how do you actually operate so we can be uh, effective within your process? And then finally, something that's not talked about very much is uh, expectations. During the recruiting process, you have uh, presented the partner with a certain uh, uh, understanding of the expectations that's going to happen once you start to do business together. So we want to make sure we track this uh, really efficiently and effectively. Okay. So, let's take a look at the second one, and uh, again, this is really important. I think uh, Doris has some really good observations on integrating the, uh, the, the people component of uh, the onboarding process. Doris? Thanks, Mike. So, a lot's written, if you read much about uh, sales enablement, about the customer experience, but there isn't much written about the partner experience, and we think that's really uh, a shortcoming of the literature that's out there, because it's really critical to get better performance for your channel. This graphic is just a suggestion to think about how to map all the places that your partner may interface with your company, and all the individuals that may touch them, and how these interactions occur. So each of these functions are terribly important because the channel manager can do the best job in the world. They can have empathy for the partners, great communication skills, great project management skills, but if the partner has 
terrible interactions and is frustrated in dealing with shipping and logistics or customer service or tech support, then the frustration builds and engagement starts to go away. There's really two aspects, as Mike alluded to, the people side of things. And um, everybody thinks about the supplier partner interactions, which is clearly critical, but first, there needs to be internal alignment. Successful onboarding really needs a cross-functional matrix of resources, and often internally the roles and responsibilities, what's expected from each function is not clearly defined, maybe there's competing priorities, there's bandwidth issues, and if not resolved, these create confusion and frustration for your partner. So spend time enlisting the help of each of these functions. Get their buy-in, establish expectations, identify gaps, and <clears throat> if there are necessary resources that, are, that, that need to be addressed, flag those. <clears throat> it may sound self-serving, but it really is often helpful to engage a consultant to help facilitate some of these discussions and get internal alignment or to simply provide needed short-term help to address bandwidth issues. So the supplier-partner interactions, uh, this, is, this is a key to building bridges. And th the purpose of this slide is just to list all of the people on the supplier team. Uh, this may be different for your company. Maybe there's more people. Maybe there's fewer. Some are combined. Uh, but then also list who on the partner's team, which functions uh, are part of the partner experience. Map those out so that the tech support people are interfacing and building bridges with the tech support people on the partner side of things. Um, and they help build those bridges. And that not only helps lighten the channel manager's load, it ensures that everybody who supports the partners are in alignment and are, have buy-in, and also speeds up the onboarding process because you can dual track some of this training so that uh, the sales and logistics people are doing training at the same time as the tech support people, for example. Here's a tool that we use. Uh, it's just one tool. If you're interested in getting a copy, just uh, email me or call after the presentation. But it's a way to modularize your training. It's just one suggestion. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not carved in stone, but it's just a way to map out who within the distributor's functions need to get different modules of onboarding training. And of course, you can come up with another dimension, which is uh, who and when it's going to be delivered by the supplier side of things. All right, so that's people. Now we'll talk about Mike's favorite topic, which is processes. <laughs> I take it away. Yeah, this is, thank you. This is just a huge area. Uh, I, I think from a partner's perspective, you have to understand that onboarding a, a, a new supplier, it, it, it's a difficult pro, uh, process. Uh, I mean, the new supplier can be a huge pain in the maximus glutamus, uh, to tell the truth, simply uh, because there is this ongoing need to understand exactly how to, uh, how to deal with you. So what we put up here is a slide that uh, suggests, you know, the best way to do this, perhaps visually, you put out a road map so they can see that they understand what's going to happen, what time frame it's going to happen in. And we've got onboarding processes uh, uh, that, that sometimes take a, a year or more, depending on how complex the products are. But these are the issues that really give pain points to the, uh, uh, to the partner. Uh, and that's, and that's, that's all your internal policies and procedures, which they've got to absorb besides the product knowledge and how to create demand and, and sell your product. Um, there are those of you out there that are complex organizations. You might have double the amount of processes we see as we've indicated here. Or if you're a simple organization, you might, might have just a few. But just take a look at it, and you, you can see that the, the challenge of understanding exactly how we're going to do business together can be really significant. So in your onboarding process, we want to define this, and we want to be able to uh, communicate it as effectively as possible. A lot of it can be done online, uh, but a good deal of it, has, you have to make sure that the partners understand this, because as part of moving the cost of uh, uh, the uh, program to the partner, that was different in 
let's say the 1990s, all right, where uh, companies tended to want their channel managers to be in front of virtually every sale. Today we know that by moving the costs, the internal costs of uh, customer service and technical support and all of those things allows us to achieve higher margins. Just really be aware of this and, and uh, do a good job of defining this. It, it can be a substantial task internally. Okay, so what we do is we, we create a process here. That this, is, this is one example of the hundreds that we've done. All right, this is a 12-stage process. Uh, if you're a big uh, uh, multi-SBU uh, corporation, it might be 20 uh, steps in your uh, development plan. All right, if you're a simple organization, then you might only have five, six different uh, areas. But we want to map it out, and we want the partner to understand exactly what it's going to take to be successful with us. So those are, those are the architectures that we try to establish with our clients to make sure that they have a smooth transition. Now this is something that's almost never talked about, uh, and that's an understanding of the psychology that's going on during the onboarding process. So Doris, why don't you take us through this? Thanks, Mike. We find that it's helpful to break down expectations into explicit and implicit. The ex explicit ones are pretty straightforward. They're things like, what are our sales targets? What what kind of numbers are you going to make? What marketing activities are you going to undertake? Uh, what kind of headcount are you going to dedicate to support our products? What kind of training is required? Uh, how often are we going to have business reviews? And what kind of sales tracing reports, for example? Um, and policies and procedures, uh, to the extent that you make them explicit, uh, they're, they're, part of, they're part of that side of the equation. The implicit side, though, is where things really can go off the rails. Things like loyalty, cooperation, trust, transparency, all of these things are often talked about as part of the onboarding or even the recruiting process, but generally in an aspirational sense. Um, yeah, they're good, you know, mom and apple pie, but the problem is, is they really have there are real things behind them. Uh, and there are a lot of parallels with new employee onboarding. So when you think about a new employee and how they learn all of this stuff about how things are done around here, it's usually through daily interactions, conversations on the water cooler, lunches, or maybe you find out the hard way. You ask a question that's a no-no, and you get stunned silence in a meeting. You learn pretty quickly. That's not appropriate to ask around here. But uh, the partners, unfortunately, are far away. They don't get that daily interaction. And they only learn about it over a long period of time. And usually, it's as issues come up. Here's a graphic that we think represents this pretty well. So the, the top part of this is the explicit expectations. But there's all this stuff under the water that the partner boat can cram into. And that's where frustration builds. So just to take one example, you might have an explicit agreement to dedicate that the partner will dedicate two full-time sales personnel to your business. But there's implicit expectations. Maybe your expectation is, that position will be replaced within at least two months, or that this person is going to have certain attributes, uh, or that the supplier even wants to have the chance to talk to this person before they're hired. And it's very frustrating for, for the distributors if they uh, suddenly find out that you're, you as a supplier are very unhappy with them because the position is still vacant. Well, they didn't know that that was your expectation. Or that the person, you're unhappy with the person after they've been hired because uh, they didn't understand there were these unwritten expectations. So again, candidly, this often takes external facilitation. It really can benefit from it because most companies are so involved in their day-to-day -day activities, putting out fires, trying to get uh, stuff done with not enough resources or time, that it's often difficult to step away and really uh, express these unwritten and implicit expectations. But 
to the extent you can do that, it will really benefit your partner engagement. All right, now we're going to talk about a couple of special onboarding challenges. Clearly, a lot of you are international, either are U.S. companies with international partners or maybe are foreign companies that are trying to come to the U.S., and there are definitely some special challenges with onboarding those partners. Okay, so, yeah, just to go ahead and list them up there. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna be Yes, I'm going to be brief. Uh, yeah, there we go. All right. So challenges of international. This is this is kind of obvious. I can hear you. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of elements uh, in the uh, uh, process. The, the the key is we're going to devote a whole new webinar just to this area. Uh, so uh, some of the elements that are coming up on your screen right now are just the uh, considerations that cause you to make variations in the onboarding program itself. Uh, language, market differences, cultural issues, uh, what Doris likes to call the big bad, that's a multi-strategic business unit uh, uh, approach where the policies and procedures from one SDU to the next can be very, very complex. Uh, all of those have to be taken into consideration in terms of uh, how differences in international business take place. It is significantly different, for instance, to uh, uh, to, to recruit and hire a European distributor versus, let's say, a Japanese uh, uh, distributor. Uh, different ways of going about that, and the expectations can be uh, quite different. Another one of my favorite subjects, however, though, is utilizing the onboarding process to try to rehabilitate. Uh, now, I know none of you have this problem, but uh, there are some companies we understand out there where they've got... Uh, uh, partners who've kind of died on the job. Uh, unfortunately, the numbers from research and our, our experience aren't very good here. Uh, once they've decided that your product is no longer core to their portfolio or their business model has migrated somehow and it's de-emphasized your area, um, we find when, when they're not performing, trying to get them back into a productive environment uh, it's only about one in four that we're successful with. And that can take a lot of time and effort and money. And the, the, the fact of the matter is that you're, you're leaving a, a, a revenue stream uncovered if you have a non-performing um, partner. Uh, so dealing with this it has to be pretty much straightforward. All right? You got to determine what commitments they're capable of making as a willingness to change from their, their current non-performance modality into something that's going to be more useful for you. You've got to sit back and renegotiate the sales targets and determine what the demand creation strategy is going to be uh, to, to increase the number of uh, 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 opportunities that you're actually going to get. And then it's literally a rebirth. It's a re-onboarding and maintaining those communications over a period of time so you have literally the ability to influence the partner's behavior in the marketplace. There we go. All right. The reason I decided to talk about this is because this is maybe the largest project uh, that certain I have ever been involved in. Um, it, it happened in the year 2000, but that's irrelevant to the uh, to the exercise. Um, Ericsson was in financial trouble. They lost about 50% of their uh, people in the year 2000 coming off the dot-com bus and things of that nature. So they had to they had to save money however they could. So they got the senior sales executives together and actually sold them the rights to become the master global distributor uh, for their network uh, uh, products. So when I was sitting with management, we tried to time out what we thought it was actually going to take to set up uh, uh, a new global network, uh, 110 countries involved and you know, all the complexities of being able to recruit and onboard and so forth, right? So they had estimated that it was going to take three years to do it. Now, following the model that we just kind of talked about, right, there are a lot of architecture in there, uh, to be sure. Uh, in, in a 45-minute presentation or something, it's hard to get to all the complexities. But because we did the planning so well, it actually only took 18 months. At the end of those 18 months, they had actually exceeded the sales goals that they had with the direct sales force in the, uh, the, the previous business model. So there's such value here 
and being able to reduce cycle times right, and get productive partners if you do a good job. Now, I realize the investment in building a good onboarding program is one that could tax your internal resources, but it is so worthwhile to do. Okay, so Doris, why don't you take us through a summation of uh, our program here. Yeah. Well, so first, though, it's time for our second polling question. Uh, Laura, if you could take that away. Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to launch our second poll. And the question is, what's your biggest partner onboarding challenge? A, not enough time. B, not really sure where to start. C, lack of internal buy-in. D, lack of partner buy-in. And E, not sure, none of the above. So please take a moment, everyone, to weigh in here, and I will keep the poll open for another moment. Looks like we still have people voting, so if you could try to go ahead and make your selection. And I will go ahead and close the poll and share the results here. So um, here's what we have. The biggest partner onboarding challenge, uh, not enough time, 11% say. 22% uh, say they're not really sure where to start. Uh, interestingly, zero have said lack of internal buy-in. 22% say lack of partner buy-in. It's fascinating. And 44% uh, say they're not sure or none of the above. So I'll go ahead and hide those results. And uh, back to you, Doris. Thanks, Laura. So in summary, uh, the partner onboarding process needs to be carefully designed and systematically deployed, not only systematic in terms of uh, consistent, repeatable processes for the same types of partners, but also that it's stripped out in a carefully and thoughtful process so that uh, you optimize learning and that learning is is verified as it goes through as the, the partner goes through the process it's important to provide hands-on support through what we call the first so that might be the first customer pitch the first order maybe the first installation whatever the first might be it's really helpful to provide support hands-on through that focus on the first night days because that's really where the behaviors start to become ingrained and become part of the culture of how you interact. Consider automation options. There are so many out there growing every day. Uh, things like learning management systems help you deploy some of the learning more efficiently and effectively. Uh, things like partner portals can create a centralized repository for your product information, your marketing collateral, and finally, make sure you pace your recruiting based on onboarding. A lot of companies will tell us they spend time on recruiting or on spiffs or on uh, new product launches, but they don't have any time left for onboarding, really. And the problem is, is if you don't spend it on onboarding, a lot of those other activities are really um, not a good good allocation of your time. Make your onboarding thorough and high quality, but expect that it's going to evolve. The worst thing you can do is to be a deer in the headlights and not spend any time addressing it because it just looks like a big wall uh, to scale. Mike, any other final thoughts or comments from your end? No, I just want to make one last point, and that, and that is uh, your partners have other suppliers, right? So they've seen how other companies go about uh, bringing them on board and the effectiveness and the efficiency of the uh, the, the program. Uh, you've recruited them. They obviously want your product. They want your brand name. Uh, but you're being evaluated during this onboarding process. They're going to put you in a container and say, well, wow, this is a fantastic company to work with. They follow through on all their promises and you know we can, we can see how we're doing and how we're going to be measured and so forth. Um, but be aware that it does make a significant statement about your company and how effective you are. Uh, obviously, this is a summary, you know, consistently engaged partners and top of mind. Every one of you is interested in getting top of mind. There's no doubt about that. All right. And it's the engagement process that helps you maintain that over a period of time. All right. 
you're going to be more efficient, more effective. Uh, your, your bandwidth is going to be easier to manage because you do have a, a formalized and documented program. And finally, the experience is better. Uh, you save the top line and bottom line results. All right. It, literally, we are all about making the, the, the channel more profitable. And this is one of the best ways to, uh, to do it, is to be um, comprehensive in the way you design your onboarding process. It's going to last long after that, five years from now. The, the habits that they developed during the first year of onboarding is, uh, is uh, going to define how they work for you later on. All right, and finally, we got an offer for you. So we're going to do a, a, a webinar, next one coming up, if you want, want to join us on the, the value proposition. Uh, value propositions are tricky, tricky things to do really, really well. So what we're going to do is, is offer uh, all of you that are on this, this webinar an opportunity to submit your uh, value proposition to us, and we'll do an evaluation and use you as an example uh, in, our, in our next webinar. Now, that can be done anonymously, of course, so uh, if we have a lot of uh, harsh statements to make about the value proposition, uh, you get the learning from it. And uh, all, the fact of the matter is you might, you might have a fantastic value proposition we can use you as a positive example. Uh, but we thought we'd do uh, you know, sort of a, a workshop modality on this uh, webinar uh, to make it of greater value to everybody that, 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 that comes up. Uh, we'll submit uh, some uh, checklists uh, to you, the type of information that we're going to need, all right? and then we'll provide you uh, with a, a set of high-level recommendations to improve uh, how your uh, partner value proposition actually performs. So uh, there we are uh, at the uh, end of this uh, webinar. So what we want to do is be able to uh, um, Engage your questions. So, Laura, have you got some questions that they've uh, they've uh, submitted? Yes, yes. Thank you so much, uh, Doris and Mike, for sharing your expertise. And I do have questions rolling in. Um, and uh, I'm not sure if Doris is able to participate and still hear us, but uh, Mike, you'll be able to handle these. Yeah, I can take jump in. Okay, so we do have a lot to get through and I only have about 15 minutes left so I'm just going to go for it. Uh, this one's coming in from James. Uh, he says, we haven't begun our onboarding program yet. How long does it typically take to develop a good program? Uh, again, wide, wide range depending again on the complexity of uh, your organization and your business model. Uh, it, it generally takes us somewhere between three and six months to uh, put a program together, and, and, and the reason for that is it involves all your internal resources. The way we go about this is to reduce the cycle time by being able to uh, uh, have your internal resources take up parts of the partner education. Okay, so we've done it in as short as 30 days for simple products. Uh, we've uh, um, it's it's taken as with the Erickson example, you know, maturing that that process of uh, almost 18 months. But I'd suggest to you that if you started today, you follow the basic construct of the wireframe that we just gave you. Uh, you could probably do it internally in about uh, about 90 days. Now, don't expect that it's going to be perfect because it's not going to be perfect. They're going to evolve. Uh, you're going to come up with issues that uh, you, know, you run into uh, during the deployment process. Uh, so just understand that it will evolve over a period of time. Uh, last time I looked. Uh, I think uh, uh, the Cisco Systems did a major overhaul of their process in the year 2000. Now, what I do know is that since then they've done six different revisions of their their program. So they, you know, they're keeping it modern. They're updating it as the needs of the marketplace change. Hope that was useful for you. Yes, super. Thank you. Um for the example there as well. Okay, so here's another one. Um, this one is uh, talking about challenging partners. And the participant asks, uh, what if we set up an onboarding schedule, but our partner keeps missing the deadlines? And then you know, just to piggy on to that, um, I guess I would be wondering, you know, how, how do they know when to pull out? Is three months too little? Um, especially if we're talking about international partners and developing that relationship, as you had mentioned, takes time. Is it really something that they should be sticking out for closer to six to nine months? If you can maybe give us a gauge on that when partners are missing deadlines and 
and when to pull the cord. Yeah, I mean, this, this is a, <laughs> it's the proof of the pudding, really. I mean, you've, you've done all the effort in the recruiting process, you've got the contract signed, your business plan is in place, and now we're going to see if we're going to get compliance. You, you never really know, all right, until you actually start in, a, you know, uh, your involvement with the, uh, with the partner. Uh, what you have to realize is that uh, this, this is a big challenge for them, all right? You, you, you are an interruption to what is currently their, their daily workflow. They're representing other uh, suppliers. They've got to maintain their revenue streams and so forth. So you can expect the few deadlines will be broken because, you know, they have other issues going on in their company. Uh, on average, though, uh, we'd say you're going to learn a lot about how they're going to operate within the first three months, the first 90 days. If you were in the recruiting seminar, we're suggesting that you do your uh, re reviews with them on a quarterly basis if they're a tier one uh, partner, all right? Uh, but I would certainly say that I would really start getting concerned if the behavior uh, continues uh, at about the six month level. And then I really do have to go back and either reestablish their intent all right, or, or decide that even though I've sunk all the effort and money and time into getting this new partner, that it, it's time to pull the plug because I, I don't want damage to occur in my marketplace. All right? So in, in, in general, uh, that would be the time frames I'd be looking at. Okay. Yeah, thank you so much, Mike. Okay, um, we're going to move on here to intellectual property. Uh, this one's from Jessica. She says, you talk about the importance of knowledge transfer to our distributors. How do we know how much intellectual property to transfer? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> Obviously, you, you don't, like if you're a software company, you don't, you don't give away the code, right? Uh, but today, modern distribution, these guys have gotten a lot more sophisticated over a period of time. Uh, you know, they're developing better business models than they used to in the old days, even in the manufacturing sector, which generally lags the technology sector. Uh, how much? Well, en enough that they can be independent in representing you effectively as an extension uh, of your own sales force. So we, we want them really pretty highly knowledgeable. Uh, the whole idea of moving the cost to the channel is that the distributor ought to be independent enough to carry, let's say, 70, 80% of the sales cycle load uh, without demanding a lot from your uh, resources, its channel manager and the other internal resources. Uh, matter of fact, we, we just did a review with a client uh, uh, last week where we actually looked at how many opportunities were, were managed by the, uh, the, the partners. And it was, it was really very interesting to, to look at. 70% of all the opportunities were almost wholly managed by the distributor with very little uh, in, in this particular uh, client uh, effort having to be up by the, uh, by the supplier organization. So yeah, you're not going to give away the, the, the deepest secrets that you have about the, the product. You're still responsible for that. Uh, but the, the whole idea of, of creating a capable an independent partner is important to uh, maximizing your uh, your margins. Great. Uh, yeah, and along those lines, I've got another question here. Um, this participant's asking about the partners and, and saying that they're having a hard time finding good partners and ask what is the best way to vet them and their performance before we go um, in too deep with them. Yeah, I mean, again, different marketplaces, different, uh, different opportunities. Uh, in, in some industries, the, the number of partners available uh, might be really significantly small. Uh, so you, you really don't have too many options. So there's a couple ways to go about this, and that, and that is, uh, I, don't, I don't really like it that much, but sometimes we have to use partners that are also being used by our competition, and that sets up a whole other competitive uh, environment. Sometimes, and we've just done this in the Middle East, uh, where we really couldn't find qualified partners, so we actually had to go find individuals. We went into a completely different model, uh, where we set up somebody who was knowledgeable about our technology, <clears throat> but we, we had to do all the lifting and helping them uh, put together a, a business model. As a matter of fact, this one company I'm talking about actually invested in this individual 
to put up their uh, their business. There was a, about a hundred thousand dollars investment to get them all the capabilities necessary to uh, to, to work. So it, it can be really challenging where we have limited number of, uh, of partners available to us. That actually occurs more in different marketplaces, the emerging marketplaces which may not have you know, fully structured uh, in environments and so forth. Um, there are a, a lot of special considerations with that. So if, if that individual would send me an email, then I'll address that uniquely to your own uh, re requirement and uh, try to be as, uh, more specific in terms of what your other options are. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so if you could uh, send us an email with maybe which markets you're trying to get into, but and that's fascinating that you know you can do such a unique business uh, plan that even can target individuals. So um, uh, thanks for that. Okay, I have another question here that probably a lot of us can relate to. Uh, this attendee says, uh, we are under a lot of pressure to increase sales. How do we justify stepping back and spending all this time to build an onboarding program like, the, like what you've described? <laughs> and then, yeah, tell me, tell me someone that's not under pressure for sales these days. <laughs> We've got we've, everybody is trying to find that little extra extra edge. Uh, all right, so drop back a half a second here. You could continue going, just running after the next shiny object, uh, next opportunity. All right, and, and not really very much improve the pipeline that you're trying to go after. Uh, the idea that yes, you're going to have to take some time to establish a more uh, effective way of going about this is is a bit of an anathema. Uh, to, to companies because it seems to be conflicting with the need to drive today's sale. End of the month, end of the quarter, end of the year, all, all those things uh, do come in, into play. The, the fact of the matter though is that you know, in almost every case that we see, we can improve the overall productivity if you invest some of the time. Now, uh, Doris said it was self-serving. Uh, if you don't have the bandwidth, then there's another good reason to get outside uh, outside assistance, right? To you know, put the architecture together for you and, and work with your internal people in terms of what their responsibilities are, are going to be. Again, if you have a really significant issue with this, uh, we deal with this issue all the time. Give us an email, and uh, at no charge to you, we'll we'll tell you what uh, uh, what we think you can do to address it. Okay, super. All right, so uh, we have time for one more, maybe two more, um, before we need to wrap up here. So let me just give you this one and see if we can make it through one more after. We'll see. Okay, how can we tell if our onboarding is effective? Are there some ways we can measure this effectiveness? Yeah, I mean, great question. Like, you know, Doris has been doing this for 25 years. I'm, I'm the old guy. I've been doing it for, for 40 years. So during the recruiting process, we're putting in the components of the metrics. We're literally sharing with the uh, the, the partner the, which numbers are going to be important, what the KPIs are going to be, uh, and, and how we're going to review their process. So uh, within the onboarding, we've, we should have already communicated to them what the audit auditing process is going to be. Uh, tier one, tier two uh, partners, we suggest once a quarter we do the review. Uh, and that we directly approach this idea of how are we doing now and getting you up to speed. Do you feel comfortable with the amount of support that you're getting? Is your uh, knowledge base growing? What are the areas that we can become more effective at? So this, it, it, it's just built into the architecture of a good overall program. Now, in, in the beginning, uh, Laura told you that I've had 60,000 people come through my uh, public uh, courses and so forth. Wow, I just can't tell you how often this comes up in, in terms of when, once we put a new system together, uh, how, how do you embed the metrics in it so the partners actually pay attention to it and communicate to you? So that, that's another area that will probably become the subject of a, uh, a new webinar because there's a lot of stuff uh, um, to that in terms of how you negotiate what those metrics are going to be and then how you employ them uh, to ensure uh, productive performance. Excellent. That would be very interesting. Nope. We've got one more? Yeah, I think we have time for one more. Um, and okay, this one, let's see, effective onboarding sounds pretty challenging without automating at least some of the learning. 
that takes time and money to do well? Any suggestions on how to help build the case internally to support this investment? Yeah, I mean, the, the number of options out there on onboarding platforms is just mind-boggling. You know, it's maybe one of the most competitive areas in business today is getting up these learning platforms. And there's, there's a huge variety of technologies out there uh, for you to choose uh, from. As a matter of course, uh, you know, Globalocity's team, um, you know, keeps, keeps the tabs on all these suppliers in terms of the, the platform. It, it, the key thing is, some of you may have fairly simple uh, requirements in terms of the technology that you use to support, whether it's for PRM, uh, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, your portal, however you're going to manage the, uh, the, the process. So, you know, I, again, specific to the, the people in attendance on the webinar today, uh, if you shoot me an email and say, okay, this is our specific issue, here's our complexity, uh, we're either a simple product or a multi-SBU, uh, we want to do this on a global basis or we want to do this on a local basis, we can make some suggestions as the suppliers that have platforms that might fit your requirement. So, uh, yeah. This is this is what we do for a living. Just send me an email, and we'll uh, we'll, we'll try to address your your need. Super. Well, thank you so much, Mike. I think that's all we have time for. Uh, but that was fascinating, um, and and thanks to Doris too. Uh, also, I want to thank everybody in attendance for joining us. We hope that you will also join us for our next webinar on June twenty first, and it's called Creating a Great partner value proposition. To find out more information and to register, please visit our website, globalocityservices.com. Uh, and again, remember, Doris and Mike are offering that free review of your company's partner value proposition, uh, and that'll be available to three of today's webinar participants. So if you are interested in that special offer, do reach out to them uh, soon for that. And that's all we have for today. Uh, have a great one, everyone. Thanks again. Thanks, everybody.